With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash spoken. That's linkedin.com slash spoken. Terms and conditions apply. Gotta love working from home and like a brew and a penguin in the afternoon. Like that's true. <laughs> mm. Well, I've got, some, I've got some chunky cook Kit Kats. And they're those, uh, you know those multi-packs where they're... Uh, Sort of like an inch th- bit. <laughs> well, two thirds, two thirds of the size of a normal one, and it just leaves you, just leaves you a little bit underwhelmed, doesn't it? You not just have two, like I do. Yeah, but then that's the equivalent of one and a half chunky Kit Kats. <laughs> I'm still failing to see the floor, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> this is the Blue Moon Podcast. Coming up, we've got all the news and views from Manchester City's week. It's your club, and this is your show. So, 15 wins in a row and a new English record for Pep Guardiola to cap off a week where Manchester City went to Anfield and scored four. Everything's going to plan this season, and City have put themselves in a commanding position in the Premier League and are through to the quarterfinals of the FA Cup. And not only did City win at Liverpool for the first time in nearly 18 years, but they did it after missing a penalty and after the setback of Ruben Diaz's first mistake since his arrival. Mentality monsters, or what? We'll be reviewing those two games on this week's show, plus looking ahead to the next two as Spurs and Everton appear over the horizon and an already tough run gets a little bit tougher. We'll be hearing from former City and Everton fullback Michael Ball, plus Howard Hocking is discussing Phil Foden, so let's crack on. I'm David Mooney, with me this week is Goal.com's Jonathan Smith. Hello. And City fan and former Blue Moon podcast host until he buggered off to London for his new job, Sam Roscoe. <laughs> You've got to let it go, that was two years ago. <laughs> I know, mate, I know, but you know, like, we had you on after the Lyon uh, debacle uh, last year, and I said to you after that show, we need to get you back when, when it's a good week, and I thought, what better week than when City have won <laughs> yeah. at Anfield for the first time in nearly two decades, you know? <laughs> so Sam, starting off with that game, um, looking at the title picture now, five points clear of second place, City still got a game in hand. It's City's title to lose, is it? I think when you look at the form of other teams as well, you take that into consideration and this monster run that um, that City are on. You know, we've, we there are a lot of similarities, aren't there, with with this monster run to to when they previously won the title. And you need that consistency in any Premier League title race. And and City are currently the team that have it. It looks, um, yeah, it's difficult to see a side stopping them. So I think certainly it is City's title to lose. Um, the only thing that concerns me is maybe you know if they throw it away, if they have some injuries, if basically if Ruben Diaz gets injured. Um, yeah. But it's not looking like that's going to be happening at the minute. Um, I know we're going to come on to you know the the win at Anfield, but I just think in a in any other season, the circumstances in that game. You know, we we would have capitulated. Um, so I think you were right to say mentality monsters. I think they certainly are. Um, and you know, going looking at like I said, looking at the other sides, just don't know who's going to beat them. Especially when they have that mentality of um, win at all costs, onto the next game, win at all costs, onto the next game. It's um, it's relentless at the minute. 
Yeah, John, the, the, the thing is, like I said in in the introduction there, not only a, a, a City five points clear of, of second place with a game in hand, it's not even a case now of, of who beats City, because even if City drop points, who's putting a run together that gets them ahead of City? Yeah, I mean, I would add a slight note of caution. You know, it's, it's not impossible for them to win two games on the trot. You know, they've got two very difficult games coming up this week, Spurs and Everton. Everton away, you know, those are those are hard games. Um, a red card or something like that, and they lose two games. United win both their games, and suddenly, it's you know, it's not quite as comfortable as it was. I mean, that's just that's just a note of caution because obviously, at the moment, City are looking unstoppable, and when you look at the rivals, you know, Liverpool look like they've got a lot of problems. Uh, Solskjaer has said that United aren't t- even title candidates. So, uh, who else is there? Leicester, Chelsea are way, way off and things like that. So, you, it is looking very comfortable. But, like I say, a couple of couple of defeats. Then this packed schedule. Obviously, they've had to have two games now rearranged for midweek because of uh, Carabao Cup. And um, uh, the uh, what's the other one they've got? The uh, FA Cup quarter final. This Everton game is is one that's been rearranged, so it's it's not it's not done yet. Well, we'll get into the the, the uh, game at Anfield again in a minute, Sam. But like, have a listen to this. This is like if all the games are played now in on the free midweeks. If the if the the games to be rearranged are put on the free midweeks, this is City's schedule. Okay, from now until the end of the season, so the middle of May, they get four days break, then four days break, three days, three days, three days, four days, three days, four days, three days, four days. Then there's fourteen days, which is an international break. So there's probably going to be. Um, two games for most of the players in there to jet off around the world to at some point. Then after that, they've got a run again. Three days, four days, five days. Two days, three days, five days. Four days, two days. Five days, two days. Four days, three days. Four days, four days. And then they'll get a massive six-day break to the Champions League final if they get there. Like, how on earth do you... How do they cope with that? Yeah, I, I, I get your point. And I think, you know, what you've just said there... It just shows how important this run that they're currently on has been, because the season is going to cut. You know, it's, it is absolutely chocker with with fixtures and the fact that they are being so consistent now. When you compare it to other teams who are in a similar position, fighting on a number of fronts when it comes to the the trophies, um, no one is anywhere near Manchester City for consistency at the minute, and I think. That's a massive plus. Um, you know, look, I think it'd be it'd be unbelievable if they managed to to continue on this winning run. You know, um, with with the amount of games that that are coming up, so City are going to drop points, but again, it's consistency factor. And and the other teams, can I see any of them going on a fifteen game run? Not at the minute. Um, I, but yeah, you know, there are a lot of games coming up, and I, and. and I think what we've learnt so far from from the season is that Pep has really utilised his squad well, um, without disturbing it too much, if that makes sense. So he's where he has tweaked, he's not made massive changes. You know, we've seen John Stones play a lot of games, um, but at the same time, he'll be getting a rest every now and then as well. Yeah. Um, 
and I think he's been really clever with that, the way he's he's tweaked the side, but he's made sure it's still a, a strong enough side to, to get the result. Um and I think that's all also down to the, the nature of City Squad, you know, it's it's very, very strong. Um and, and that's the reason why um you know we they have a strong squad to is to, to fight on all four fronts and um but oh yeah, of course, no one's expecting like <laughs> this incredible run of games every two days, three days, four days, etc. Yeah, John, it's, uh, the one thing that we haven't addressed there in all of that as well is that there is literally now no more room in the schedule. So if anything gets postponed, they're going to have to play two games in a, in a, in a game week. They're going to have to play two games in a week. Yeah, um, yeah, and all it would take is uh, a COVID outbreak at another club or something like that, and that would that would put, put them back. So it, it's very, very tough, and... City have got to be careful with their injuries. They've got a, they've got a big squad and got a couple of injuries at the moment. Well, obviously Sergio and, and Kevin have been out for a while, but uh, we're waiting to hear what what Rodri was like after he limped off against Swansea. Fernandinho didn't make the trip, so you know it, it only takes a couple of. I mean, I'm sounding very doom and gloom about this. Uh, from the way, <laughs> no, I'm the opposite way around. To be honest, I'm feeling pretty optimistic. Which is, someone pinch me. Uh, I, 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 I say, John, that they are five points clear of second place with the game in hand. <laughs> <laughs> I am hugely optimistic, but I just think, I mean, it was Pep sort of um, was was saying, "Well, we've won the title already," sarcastically before the Swansea game, and um, I think you know, I think he's got a point. It's not, it's not won. And for all the other sides that are out of form, you know, it could it, it, it doesn't take as much as I think some people think for it to to change around. So if they, if they keep this going for, you know, they've got this difficult run of games now where they've got top half sides coming up, Everton, Spurs, sorry, Spurs, Everton, West Ham, Arsenal, the Derby. So if they get through that, it's still in the same position. I mean, you would... you. You'd actually wouldn't it better against them being in a stronger position. But if they get through those games, eight points clear, having played that game in hand, then you then you think you know, it's, they, that's almost over the you know as close to the finishing line as you get before yeah, crossing the, it. The, the line's in sight, isn't it? At that yeah. point, yeah. Um, let's talk about the tactics in Anfield because I thought it was a fascinating game, John. Uh, the first half not great, um, and Guardiola switched to four four two, and suddenly it, it like it, they just took complete control of the game. Yeah, um, I mean, first first off, the, the lineup was uh, there was some a, a couple of surprises in there. I mean, obviously it was phones not necessarily played in these big games before, so it was a, a big sort of confidence boost to him to see him start and just shows exactly how far he's come now. Uh, but also uh, Zinchenko playing at left back up against Mohamed Salah. I mean, what? What you know? What an impact Zinchenko is continuing to have. You know, he's been he's been written off many many times, and that was a big game against Liverpool's biggest threat. You know, one on one, and 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 you know, actually Zinchenko didn't really have a problem. It was slight. It was a it was a mistake from from uh, Diaz for the goal for the penalty, uh, and also it was a. A sharp bit of acting from Salah to <laughs> the referee. So I don't. So I, you know, I thought he was. It was a big game for him. So from that point of view, the tactics were absolutely spot on. I mean, I, I wasn't at the game, and I thought. I thought I was listening to Gary Neville on the on the commentary. I thought he was very pessimistic about both sides. You know, he was, this, 
both sides are capable of picking off the others if if, if you if you make errors. Um, and I thought City can were in control. There was a couple of chances in the first half. Marnie had that header, which maybe he could have done better with. But I thought I thought generally City were keeping them at bay. Uh, didn't create too much, but yeah, it was interesting that switch to two, two. I don't know. Was it to switch to two false nines? I don't know. Yeah, they, well, they weren't. They, they were. They were to kind of nominally centre forwards, but not centre forwards, were they? That's that was like fascinating. Sam, the, the, the first half when like when you go back to half time in that game and you're thinking, right, we're going in at nil nil. We've missed a bloody penalty and the opportunity to take the lead in a game that we never take the lead in. Like, honestly, were you starting to fear the worst at that point, thinking it, like even whatever happens, it's just going to be one of them days? Well, it was just a case of here we go again, I think, wasn't it? You know, we, I, I think as well, so much was made of City's record at Anfield. Partly by me, and, to be fair. <laughs> yeah, D- David, <laughs> you, you know, you couldn't have mentioned it anymore. The, the, I think, what was it, six Star Wars films or something like that that yeah. they haven't won since then? Um <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can confirm this week that there have been no Star Wars films yeah, released no. <laughs> since City's last win at Anfield. Yeah, <laughs> which is great. I'm I'm really pleased to hear that. Um, Haven't I had Fast and Furiouses? Oh, I don't know. I didn't bother counting them because I, I don't think numbers go that high, do they? I don't know. <laughs> um, yeah, I think. Look, you know, going into it at half time, it was a little bit not for not. Not frustrating because I think you know the first half, like John said, both both teams were were there to sort of pick each other off, and it was more frustrating that we had the opportunity, and it was very. It reminded me of when Mares missed the penalty, um, and that was obviously in the front of my mind at half time, thinking oh, we've been here before, you know the the remembering how it you know how things could have been, etc. But I was really impressed with with the way this he tweaked it. Um, yeah. Into the second half, and the way City took the game to Liverpool, which um, we were kind of asking for, really, in the first half. I was, I certainly was. I was thinking, you know, look, these these are here to be to be taken, and I think if City kick it up a gear, they can really uh, do some damage. And it really pleasing to to see Pep make that positive change and um, really get the win. And, and again, just be ruthless. It's yeah. I, get, I get so much satisfaction out of seeing City be ruthless and almost arrogant in a way it's it's an elite mentality which i know i banged on about this in the podcast for for so many times in the past but that's what we need we yeah. are a, we're we're an elite team we're not we don't play at main road anymore we you know we're not we don't have sun gi bombing down the the wing we're not we, happy to just be in the conversation anymore yeah, yeah exactly we we should be going to anfield and we should be tearing them apart when they're in dire when they hadn't even scored a goal at Anfield this year, we should be tearing them apart. So it was really pleasing to see that positive change and it was really pleasing to see that ruthless side as well yeah. in the second half. The ruthless thing, John, is is um, it was fascinating the way City got the ball back off, off Liverpool. I don't normally do tactical analysis, but I, th- I posted a, tw- a thread on this because I, I, I watched as, as City players did not, like, they didn't press the, the Liverpool defenders in the same way that they normally do. They would normally like like surround uh, the opposition and try and just force them to give them the ball back under pressure. But they recognised that players like Alisson or Alexander-Arnold would be happy to take that pressure and, and kind of play past it. So they just they, they, they pressed them in the way that just said, right, you're, you're going to have no options when you've got the ball. And you can have you can have a little bit more time, but just nobody to pass it to. And that was, that, that was the big thing with uh, the, the Alisson mistakes. Like, like they've been called... Um, unforced errors and they're not they were very forced weren't they 
Well, I think that one of the things they, they, they've been doing very very effectively this season is these sort of setting setting traps where you give a player, you know, a DM, a little half half a room and then almost force the, the goalkeeper to play that pass and then, you, and then you press that person instantly, put them right under pressure. Um, I think I think it was more particularly you saw it against um, the third the third goal against Swansea, where that just just give them a little bit of room where they think they, they they've got time and they and they actually haven't and you're all over them. Um, but also I think you know this this side is full of those players who like Jesus when he came on, like Foden, like Bernardo, who it's just relentless, just charging all over the pitch at 100 miles an hour. Harassing, hassling, just giving you no time at all. And um, I mean, it, it was there were mistakes from Allison, there were poor clearances, but but I, I agree, there were there were forced errors as well. Yeah. Um, the the funny thing is though, Sam, when you when you look at all of this, we're, we're talking about uh, the performances of those front players, Foden, Sterling, Bernardo, for instance. Um, and yet it was uh, again mentality monster. It was Ilkay Gundogan. He's missed a penalty, and there he is, popped up twice with two great finishes, and and in the right place at the right time. Yeah, absolutely. And I need to 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 uh, to come out publicly here and say I apologise to Ilkay Gundogan because I've, <laughs> I've said a few things in the past uh, that make me look like an idiot now and I'm really pleased I honestly I'm I'm delighted to see that Gundogan is is being the player that we all hoped he'd be um you know I know he's he, he didn't have the easiest start to his career at Manchester City with that injury but then it makes me think you know looking at Gundogan now have we been playing him in the wrong position all the time have, have we been holding him back has, has Pep <laughs> been holding him back you know what where's this player come from he's 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 genuinely the best player Manchester City have at the moment. And I'd, I'd say the impact he's had... As, look, I know it's a team game, but he, he's, he's so quick to move the ball these days. And he's so quick at getting forward into, and exploiting the space, which is something that... You, you know, when you're watching City play a, a side like um, like Wolves or, or West Brom, for example, at the Etihad, and that you know they've got 10 men behind the ball and it's just slow and and you know really turgid football side to side and there's just no sort of movement to get to break through those lines Gundogan's doing that he's getting forward he's he's finding these clever pockets of space which is enabling other other players to you know defenders to come out to him and, and to create that space behind which is having a massive impact um and he's always had that little run into the box you know that, that late run into the box to be the third man in there he's always had that in his locker and now he's you know he's, he's reaping the rewards as well as as the other hard work that he's putting in going forward you see stats pop up all the time about clubs and players and you want to know that exact thing about city there's an answer statcity.co.uk Want to find out all of the players who played alongside club legends like David Silva, Sergio Aguero or Vincent Company? Or maybe you'd like to know which team found it hardest to score past Joe Hart. You can find out City's record in every competition, at every stadium and under every manager. Just go to statcity.co.uk and browse away. That's statcity.co.uk We can't not talk about Phil Foden, John. Um, it was a, an outstanding performance from him. The, a, a lot's been made of his finish. 
Uh, and it was a cracking finish. We can't take that away from him. Uh, but I want to big up the the role he played in. Was it the second goal when Allison gave it to him and he beat about four men to get to the byline? Yeah. Um, you know, it was he, he, he sort of drifted past Henderson with, with with speed, but some strength as well. And you know, I, I'm sure people have got their own opinions about Jordan Henderson. He was he was Player of the Year last year, and I'm, I'm not sure he's the best player in England, but he's certainly a strong, experienced, good midfielder. And Foden just brushed him aside. You know, that's nothing to do with being a centre back. That's just you know that could happen in the middle of the pitch. Yeah. He's been he's been beaten by a skillful player, um, and yeah, it, it, it was. I think it was a landmark performance. It's, he's really, really announced himself that you know that that was a big game. It was you know Liverpool had to win that to get themselves back in the title race, and I think the best player on the pitch or the most effective player on the pitch was Phil Foden. So you're talking about 22 of the best players in England. And, and Foden, for me, was was the best one out there and the most made the biggest impact. So, you know, he, everyone wants him to do well. I think everyone, when he does good things, they get picked out more than any, anything. But, you know, there's, there's no doubt now that he, he belongs with all those top players now yeah. at City and Liverpool. Sam, that, that finish, though, for for the, the, the final goal of the game, um, it reminded me, you know, of, of all those times that you used to get the ball onto your left foot at, uh, at Mellon Sports Centre, <laughs> take, take a step round the defender that was in front of you and whack it as hard as you can and get it stuck in the beams on the roof. <laughs> Except it yeah, went into no, the goal. Bring that up again. Um, <laughs> yeah, you know what? Phil Foden at the minute, I know um, the past sort of, past couple of years, we've all wanted him to play a lot more. It's, <laughs> Been critical of Pep for not playing him enough, um, but clearly, you know, Pep's had a plan for him and it's worked really well, and we're seeing the rewards to that. And what's really pleasing is when you see Phil Foden's performance at at, at Liverpool, and and you can tell it, it really means a lot to him. It, it's just so nice, and it's it's great watching uh, a young footballer play out his dream. You know, he's um, he's clearly loves loves playing for Manchester City, um, loves getting the ball in big games, loves making things happen. And he's basically, he's playing the way every single one of us watching the football match would love to play. Yeah. And that's the that's the best thing about it for me. I'm glad you said would love to play because I thought you were going to say would play. And I was like, you, you, you've seen me play well enough. You've seen me not play anymore. well, mate. And like, Maybe like, a few years ago. <laughs> not a chance I could put anything like that together. Um, let's, let's finish uh, talking about penalties. Um, John, Guardiola was asked last year who the best penalty taker was at the club. He said it was Edison. Uh, he was asked again after the Liverpool game uh, whether Edison would be taking penalties because Gundogan missed. Uh, this is what he said. When I commented this uh, six months ago, uh, ago, it was a joke. Now it's a half joke. I would consider it is a, will not be a joke and it will be a taker. So, yeah, we we don't have a real specialist in this in this area. So in this kind of games and no kind of stages, miss a penalty, punish you a lot. Fortunately, today we can uh, turn over, but uh, yeah, we have to talk about uh, about that issue because I I am still thinking that Kevin is a fantastic taker and Gundo is a fantastic taker too. What I want is the guy who takes the personality. I'm going to take a penalty. I'm going to score a goal. This is what I want. Please. 
please support the show by becoming a backer. Patreon.com forward slash Blue Moon Podcast. If that's the personality he wants, John, then he's got to look at the goalkeeper, hasn't he, surely? (laughs) (laughs) If Edison misses, where where did they go from after that? Uh, He sprints back as fast as he can, yeah. (laughs) I mean, it's... It's just it's not the dumb thing, is it? That's a that, that's the thing. But I think we'd all love to see it, wouldn't we? Yeah, I, I definitely would. I, the thing is, though, Sam, like, like you can understand, can't you, that it, it looks like you're taking the piss, doesn't it? If your goalkeeper runs up to take a penalty, but like City's penalty problems are so well documented now, then surely it's it, like it's quite easy to say, well, actually, look, everybody else keeps missing, so like it's his turn. <laughs> yeah. Th- well, look, the fact that we're even talking about Edison, the goalkeeper, taking taking a penalty really speaks volumes about how much of an issue this is for for city um and it shouldn't be you know it's 12 yards it's <laughs> these are professional footballers the <laughs> i know it's, that's really cliche that argument etc but it does baffle me um and i think pep makes a great point there when you look at the personality of a player and you look at some you can tell they're going to score it or you can tell they're going to miss it when they step up to take a penalty i think um Great example, Mario Balotelli, best penalty taker we've probably had at Manchester City for for a long time. Um, every uh, did he miss one? I don't think no, he did. Never did missed he? one for City, um, but he always looked like he was going to score. He had that confidence. He had that arrogance. He toy with goalkeepers. Do we have anybody at the minute who's got the balls to do that? Um, Edison. <laughs> but, <laughs> <laughs> that's why. That's why we're saying it, you know, because. Um, Someone with that, you know, that just oozes confidence, and it—it's. I think, um, you know, we're, we're touching in. Or I'm going into the realms of um, psychology. You know, when it's striker against goalkeeper, it is a psychological battle as well as look. It's just the ball on the spot, twelve yards out, get it on target. You, you're probably going to score. Um, so we're, we're making it more of a psychological thing. But the only reason we're doing that is because of City's poor penalty record. Um, and again, it's. It's not. It's consistency. So we've seen De Bruyne miss them, Sterling's missed them, Mares has missed them. Um, Jesus, Gundogan, Aguero, yeah, all missed. Jesus, Gundogan, Aguero, yeah, all, all missed. So until we have, you know, I think we, he seems to have a lot of faith in Kevin De Bruyne, which rightly so. Um, it, it sounds like he is the penalty taker, and when he's on the pitch, he's got to keep taking them. If he misses one, I think he still should take them because it's yeah. it's all about building confidence and. And and you do that with consistency on penalties. The, the thing is, when, when can Edison take one? If it's if it's nil nil against pre-season Spurs, friendly. <laughs> well, if it, what, what I'm saying is at the moment, if it's nil nil against Spurs, you can't risk Edison because if he if he misses it and he's left out a goal, you're in trouble. If it's three nil, then you give it to someone else, Gundogan, to, someone to just get a little bit of confidence back because it kind of doesn't matter if you miss. I just don't see the. I don't see the. I don't see where Edison takes this penalty now. Yeah. So um, I, I, the only the only way I could see it ever happening is if we find ourselves in a number of penalty shootouts and he takes like the fifth one or something. Oh, I think uh, he'll take but, one in a shootout. I think. Oh he yeah. Take like, one. Well, this, I think he's got to justify. Like he's got to. He's got to be in the top corner. Absolute thunder bastard of a penalty. Every yeah. every one. And I think unless we see that like three or four times, then. But realistically, he said, he I mean, can't, Joe, can't Joe Hart took an absolute belt yeah. on the penalty, didn't he? Mm. 
Quick word on uh, Salah, John, because uh, you you had a bit, you poked a bit of fun at him a bit earlier on. Uh, you can understand why fans are annoyed, but he was fouled, wasn't he? Uh, wasn't he? Well, the, the thing I always look at when when I'm watching these back is is what what is exactly what what we're suggesting has happened, and and the suggestion from that is is that Diaz has has tugged him to the right, pulled him back. And he's fallen to the left with his head, so you know this is it's sort of cause and effect, isn't it? And so that's you know that's that's the issue. He was fouled, but I'm not sure it's not caused him to to fall over in that way. That's that's the problem I have with it. No, he's, he's, it's Sam. He's he's been fouled, but he's dived as well. <sighs> I don't know. It, it, it goes back to this. You know, what do we constitute as a foul um, outside the area, etc. Um, but I just think. If that was a City player, I'd be embarrassed. If that was an England player in the Euros, I'd be embarrassed. Um, but, you, you know, I can understand why why Salah and other players do that in the in the penalty area when they do get a, you know, a, a contact on them because, you know, chances are it's going to be given as a penalty and, you know, you want to give your team every advantage possible of winning a match. And, and if it means, um, you know, going down whenever there's any form of contact then they've got to do it haven't they but it's it's just it is frustrating because there's so much at the minute around VAR um, well there's no, there's no way the VAR overturns that because the, because the foul was there I don't know what, what's go on why do you think it's a foul well he's pulled it back you know you can't pull players back when they're the wrong side of you has he though has he for me yeah, he it, just like, it looks like he has a touch on his arm doesn't like he's pulling him in any you know it's again it's all down to you know it's a physical game like that's what that's what I'm saying. He's not actually yeah. when he, in the process of pulling him back. He's not actually pulled him back, has he? He's not impeded him, is what you're saying. Well, he's not. He's, you know, his body has not moved to where to, towards the direction he's being pulled. It's moved in the opposite direction. He's, he's not being. Yeah, he's not being impeded. Mm. It's an attempt at a foul, but it's he's not actually being fouled. He sort of ste- he steps off, doesn't he, Diaz? As soon as he knows what's happening, you can sort of see it in his eyes in, on the slow motion. You can see the moment where he goes. Oh shit! This is Salah. I better get off him. Um, but it's by that point, it's too late. Um, so it's frustrating, and it's frustrating as well because you know he'd have, he'd have probably scored Salah. So yeah. why do that? Why have to? Why have to go to those levels, those extremes? But again, like I said, you know, if it gives your team an advantage of winning the game, then of course players are going to do it. I didn't think it was the worst. It wasn't the worst penalty I've seen. It was understandable. Yeah. Uh, right, well, City's success this season has been built on defending well, apart from that penalty incident. Uh, back in 2007, when the club wasn't able to boast the star names and firepower it has now, it was their defensive record under Stuart Pearce that kept them in the Premier League, boring to watch as it might have been. In the January of his final season, Pearce brought in Michael Ball to give him more options at the back. I've been speaking to the former left-back about the move to Eastlands. Unfortunately, at PSV, uh, the change of managers, um, I wasn't really in and around there. The, the squad anymore so I was looking for, for game time and, and to obviously get back playing football again and um, there was a, f- a few clubs were showing interest to my agent and it was only when Stuart Pearce uh, made the call um, to my agent to say you know, we're ready to take him get him some game time to the rest of the season and you know I jumped at the chance then to get, get back home to the UK and, and uh, you know, basically to get back playing and show everyone what I was capable of 
Yeah, what uh, what was that City team like when you were coming in? Did you did you know much about what City struggles had been scoring goals that season? Yeah, I did. Yeah, obviously, uh, my me, me good friend uh, and everyone was Richard Dunn, so we always kept in in contact. And when City showed interest, I gave him a text and said, um, "I'm jumping on the plane and I'll see you in the morning." <laughs> he was like, "Why? What's happening?" <laughs> uh, so that was it. Was good to obviously get back in the changing room with Richard. Um, and obviously he's been a key player for City. So obviously I've been looking at you know, City's results for many years while Richard's been there and hoping he does well. And uh, to be a part of it was was great. Um, met Stuart Pearce in the training ground, um, did me medical. He took me straight to the, the first team dressing room and he just said, I, this is yours now. Um, don't prove to everyone you know, why I brought you here. Um, I'm, I'm not allowed to be in here anymore. You know, <laughs> I used to be a player. And then I was a player manager, but the lads have barred me from the changing room. This is your sanctuary. Get to know the players. Um, and I see you on the training field. So it was it was as quick as that, really. Um, you know, which which was good, because all you want to do as a player is just get back on the on the training field with with lads, uh, show your hunger and desire that you want to be like, part of the battle because they were going through you know, difficult times. And I've sometimes I've been on the the other side of the, the fence where, you know, you just want new faces to come in to freshen things up in, in training with different ideas and different experience and, and hopefully that's what I brought. Yeah. Um, as the weeks went by, I mentioned the, the lack of goals that City were scoring that season. As, as the weeks went by and the no, and the goals weren't coming, uh, as part of, of, of a defence in that kind of situation, did you feel more pressure on in that situation just because of like knowing if you concede a goal that, that you, you, the team is in trouble at that point? Um, not really, not off the top of my memory. That, my, you know, when my second game, um, it, we, I played sort of wing back uh, when I first came in. The way we were set up, we were set up very sort of defensively with three at the back and two full, two wing backs either side. So, you know, defensive side we were okay. It was obviously trying to implement going forward and create more chances for for our strikers. And um, the, the first game was. Was sort of thick and fast for us, and then the second game was at the FA the FA Cup game against Preston, and and that's when I got the goal, and and then Stuart Pearce, you know, come over, give me put arm around my shoulder, went, well done, go and get another one, and I was thinking, you haven't seen my goal record, <laughs> goal scoring record in the past, so you know, yet yeah, it was good, you know, obviously he knew they were struggling for goals, and he, he was asking for a full back to to get on the <laughs> on the goal sheet again was uh, was quite surprising, but it was just sort of wanting me to implement my game and. And be more forward thinking. Um, you know, I was a defensive minded player, so I think he, his comments were basically saying, you know, go up and support the forward players as much as possible because we're, we're comfortable at the back. Yeah, I, I, you mentioned the goal at Preston. I was I was in the away end that day, and my where I was stood was right behind where you were you hit it. So I, we had pretty much the same view of that flying into the top corner. What do you remember of it? Yeah, it was it was. Just the build-up play was pretty good, and uh, Karadi when he hit the was it hit the bar at the post, um, you know I was sort of ball watching, really thinking it was going in. Uh, when the ball you know came sort of bouncing you know towards myself, my me, me only uh, thought process was to keep the ball down and just get a sweet strike on it as much as possible. And you know it always looks better when it goes in off the post, doesn't it? So it was there. Uh, you know the first I thought I missed, but I've been unlucky in the past with other clubs hitting bars and posts and. Just always nearly been there, so it was great to see us sort of hit both posts and go in. Yeah, um, when it got towards the end of the season, obviously there was the uh, the Manchester derby there. There was obviously the incident with Ronaldo early on as well. What what was going through your mind when that happened? Yeah, that's something I'm like, uh, I don't really know. You know, I, you know, I apologised after. I don't really understand 
you know, I've never been sent off in my um, you know, in my career at all, and um, and I just remember speaking to my father beforehand. I played against Cristiano a few times at Rangers in the Champions League, and you know, I've always thought I've done done well against them. Um, I always backed myself against anybody, no matter who they were, that I could always sort of uh, make it difficult for them. Um, and I just knew the way it sort of happened. You know, Cristiano was sort of the boo boy of English football. Um, you know, in that summer, and then he turned it all around by his performances for United and. You know the type of player he was. He's, everyone's opinion was was like, you know, what a player this guy is. And I didn't get the op- opportunity to to play the first time, but the second time round, I was I was involved, and I just wanted to make you know, make sure make him aware that look, he's going to have a difficult game against me. You know, if he wants to uh, play well against me, he has to play to his best, and and that's what I was trying to do. And I thought, if I get an opportunity in the first few minutes, I'm going to, you know, not sort of stick one on him, but just sort of let them know moments that I'm going to be there for the full game and um, for something I've, I can't really explain what went over me. I've obviously seen them on the floor and the incident happened. You know, I've never done it on the football pitch before. I don't know what come over me to do it. Um, and that sort of just, you know, sort of set the tone for the whole game, really. That sort of spared Ronaldo want to prove, um, you know, he could get up and, and, and carry on being, being, being you know, Playing the way he, he can do, and we we just had the battle, and from 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 that from that moment, so it was something I'm you know obviously embarrassed about. Um, it was an incident that you know yes you can put good tackles in, but I've always been a good fair strong tackler. Uh, that was sort of a you know a slight obviously a slight dig and something you know I was ashamed of, ashamed of really, and I can't really explain why or the reasons why I did it. Yeah, um, obviously that that was um, that was Stuart Pearce's final season as as manager. Um, what was the next summer like? Because uh, obviously the club was going through the takeover. Then Sven Goran Eriksson arrived. It, it 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 was all kind of like a whirlwind in a couple of months, wasn't it? It was myself personally. I didn't understand. I, did, I didn't really understand my situation. Um, uh, me move from PSV to City was um, it was it was a loan. Um, but then I was sort of free and available. Um, we knew there was going to be changes. I went to start a pre-season with City and, and Sven coming pretty, you know, we, I think it was in the first week, I think we were training with sort of an alter manager for the first few days. Um, Sven came in, spoke to the players, spoke of his desire of where they want to be, how they're going to achieve it, the owner's new belief. And we're thinking, okay, this, is, this sounds interesting. But then personally, my circumstances, I was thinking, I might not be here. Um, the manager's going to get a pot of gold to go and bring in his new players. And, and Mike's saying was, well, I might not be here. Um, you know, Sven did say, look, you know what, you're all good players, but I'm going to bring more players to the football club to make us successful and start challenging for, for titles. Uh, if you want to be a part of it, you know, get get out the training field and the games, you're going to get an opportunity. Show me. If you don't, I'll help you move on. So there was obviously a few players... Um, we're up for the challenge and, you know, for, for their personal reason, for, for myself, I was just thinking, right, okay, I'll have to prove to the manager that he's, I'm worth keeping. Um, he brought in, was it nine players? It was seven to nine players, I think, within like a week or so. Um, and there was a left back there, so I was thinking, well, here we go. You know, I spoke to Sven and, and he goes, well, you're going to get your opportunity. Uh, everyone's going to get their opportunity. The goalkeeper's situation at the time, you know, there was Casper, Joe Hart, and I asked to come, 
they're all going to get their fair crack of the whip and it's it's no different for the um, the outfield players so if you do a job you stay in the team um, but you just got to keep yourself fit and, and available for when that opportunity comes and show, and show me that you're, you're willing so that, that's all I needed to know as long as I, got, I was getting a fair crack of the whip he was happy to keep me for the year he goes look let's see what you can do um, and then we'll reassess it in the summer um, so I was I was happy with that I was happy with the battle um, and I think every player you know, especially now in modern day football, but even back then, you'd, you'd love competition because it thrives you each and every day to go to training to prove that you want to be the number one in that position. And it hits, you know, it's, it sets the tone in training and the levels, the standard in training, you know, from even that short period of time, the levels just went up and up with the players we were bringing in. With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash spoken. That's linkedin.com slash spoken. Terms and conditions apply. Hear all of our city interviews on our website, bluemoonpodcast.com. And part two of that interview with Michael Ball will be on next week's show. Uh, I'd like to welcome Jack from Rule the Roost podcast. We're going to talk about Spurs now. Hi, Jack. Hi, Dave. How are you doing, mate? Uh, not too bad, thanks. Um, so what's what's going on at Spurs right now? Um, last time you were on the show, we were talking about a potential Spurs title challenge, or at least I was. Uh, since then, you've, you've, you've won 16 points, while City have won 38. Uh, there's been a major difference. Yeah, I mean, it's it just seems to be a kind of classic problem for Spurs in a lot of it's about mentality I'd say I think you can you can pinpoint several instances of of where we've kind of shown a bit of should we say mental fragility I'd say in the wake of disappointing moments in matches or games but a lot of it as well is probably just we're seeing individual errors are costly and it's kind of what you get as a result of not really investing in a squad for in a proper way as we have done for so many windows you know or haven't done i should say yeah i was gonna say you sound quite tired of it all (laughs) a little bit mate yeah i mean it's it is what it is you know it's it's exacerbated by the Mourinho factor i would say but i'd be being disingenuous if i felt he was completely to blame for for all of it he's just probably the worst person to have in charge at one of these moments when you're already feeling a bit downbeat about <laughs> your club yeah uh john the, the the thing is city go city playing spurs whatever happens in the last 18 months or so whatever whatever happens when city meets spurs weird things happen don't they yeah i think probably the first thing that comes to mind is i'm laporte making two mistakes in that champions league game when he hadn't made a single one all season um yeah and and the other thing, obviously, Mourinho would get slightly under Pep's skin. It's not quite as bad as it was when they were both in Spain, but Mourinho's won the last two games against Pep. So, um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see what's, what his approach is when it, when it comes to the Etihad, whether it's this open game that we saw in the FA Cup this week or the more Mourinho style we, ex- we used to, uh, back to the wall and letting City attack because... If he, if he does approach it that, that way, he, this might not be an unusual game. It might not be the, the surprise that we expect from Spurs because the way City are playing at the moment, 
you know, they, they, they are unstoppable. And even even a packed defence trained and marshalled by Mourinho in midweek won't be enough to stop them, I wouldn't have thought. The thing is, though, Jack, that that's an approach that has worked well for you in the last few games. I mean, the last few games, it's let City have the ball and we'll hit you on the counter-attack. Yeah, and I mean, I, I, I just... I just agree with the point that was raised there, though, in, in the respect that we've seen the last time Tottenham were playing expansively. I think the last time we saw that notably was the West Ham 3-3 earlier on in the season. We'd come off the back of, sort of smashing United. Um, we were flying, go 3-0 up, concede three <laughs> in the dying stages of a game mostly down to individual errors. And then from that point on, Mourinho went for Mourinho again. Park the bus, whatever you want to call it. Um, and what we're seeing now, though, is that that doesn't even work because as tired legs kick in, as just the season goes on, the actual just lack of quality in our defence is coming to the fore. And I, and I agree that we're kind of damned if we do, damned if we don't in this one. We... Down the years we've seen, yeah, okay, Spurs can spring a surprise against City, but equally there are just those games, you know, need I mention Ed in Dzeko at White Hart Lane, <laughs> where City just turn up and they just know they're the better team. And I think this is going to be one of those. And I'm, it's not even self-preservation, just we're, we're not in a place to match you at the moment. Sam, when you hear that, like that coming from a Spurs fan right now, and the, and the fact that you know that two nil defeat at, uh, at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium was City's last defeat, and it's all the way back in November, uh, you must feel confident about this game, even though knowing, like John said, strange things can happen against Spurs. Yeah, strange things can happen, and um, it's a little bit frustrating City's recent record against Spurs because it's really quite predictable. You know the the way the games have panned out, particularly with with Mourinho. Um, you know he's really tried to to strangle the sort of game, if you like, in the midfield. And and you know City's form at the minute is is unbelievable. And I think you know they'll, they'll go into this game thinking, look, you know it's just another ninety minutes. Let's get the three points and on rolls the machine. Um, that's how it how it how things should be. But we all know. Mourinho in in these sort of sorts of matches knows how to sort of really frustrate Manchester City and, and Pep Guardiola's sort of style of play. And I think looking at Spurs's Spurs's team, you know, with with Ndombele and and Hoiberg in in the middle coming into to to form, particularly Ndombele, the way he's turned things around, you know, they could really strangle you know the likes of Ilkay Gundogan, who's been um, you know unbelievable at the minute you know they're they're going to be putting a target on his back um certainly and, and i think there's areas in the middle of the pitch where Mourinho will be looking at, uh, at how he can get to city and i think it's just a a way of manchester city being able to you know bring their other players into the game that that maybe haven't necessarily had the headlines like Gundogan has. Um, so I'm talking like Mares. Obviously, we know how impactful Phil Foden was at Liverpool. I think it's going to be more about those players rather than the midfield for City. Yeah, John. When when the name that Sam didn't mention there was Sergio Aguero. What? How how close is he to fitness? Well, the thing with Sergio is that he's he seems to lose fitness. When he loses his fitness, he seems to lose it a bit more drastically than everybody else. So I think Pep's been ex- extra cautious with him, particularly after the way he came back early in the season um, and then quickly went off again with a hamstring injury. Um, so as of uh, as of before the Swansea game, he was 
had a small amount of training with the first team. Um, obviously, that'll be stepping up, but he certainly won't start against Spurs, and I, I wouldn't expect to see him on the bench. So I think he'll be a little bit longer yet. Yeah. Um, in terms of influential strikers, Jack, how's uh, how's Kane and Son getting on? Because those two traditionally cause City problems. Yeah, I mean that's that's the one thing we got going for us, right? They they're a force of nature at the moment. Um, Son has been patchy as he often is, but he's still always a danger. Um, and it, yeah, if we are to get anything from this at all, uh, it's it's going to be through them. Um, I don't, I think there's a there's a ridiculous statistic at the moment that there's been no other team in Premier League history other than Sunderland on Quinn and Phillips who have been as reliant on two players for goals <laughs> as Spurs are this season. So yeah, I mean, I wouldn't I wouldn't be surprised to see us maybe go one nil up, get a bit excited, and then reality comes back to to bite us. Yeah. Um, in terms of, of uh, City's attacking threat, though, Jack, the one thing that when we, I mean, we were talking about penalties earlier in the show, uh, the one thing that you might be uh, wise to do is if City get clean through, just chop them down. Just chop them down. They can't put it in the net from 12 yards. <laughs> it, yeah, it, it's, it, I was thinking that. Gundogan, he doesn't have the best record with penalties, does he? Uh, well, like he should do. He normally does. And then he missed one against you. Was it last season? And then that's it from there on. He's, he, he, like you just thought, oh, maybe not. And then against uh, an Anfield, just skied it. So he is human after all, then? Yes, after, yes, he yeah. is. <laughs> there you go. Uh, right, so Jack, let's have a prediction for the game. We've got a charity back coming up later on. Uh, I hate to say, you know I'm not just going to do this on a silly one. I predicted us to win last time, but this time I, I can't see anything past probably a, a big, and I mean a big win for City. I think it's going to be like a 4-1 job. Uh, well, I, uh, I hope you're right. We'll check the odds for that a bit later on. Uh, but for now, Jack from Rule the Roost, thank you very much. Cheers, lads. Have a good one. That brings us to uh, the midweek game with Everton on Wednesday. Uh, we're joined now by David Downey from the Blue Room podcast. Uh, David, it's it's been an interesting season for Everton. We might actually get to play this game this time. <laughs> I was going to say, haven't we been here before? Haven't we done all this before? <laughs> um, yeah, but very different circumstances for both teams now, isn't it? It's, uh, it's actually an interesting contrast if you to compare this time to, to last time when the, the, the fixture was meant to be held, isn't it? Um, particularly with you guys, obviously the the 15-game winning streak doesn't look like it's going to end anytime soon. And uh, I think we've actually sort of maintained the decent form we had going into it as well. So um, it's it's an interesting one. I'm not sure if I feel more confident or less confident, to be honest. I don't. Th- I was going to say, I don't think it really suits either of us for it to have been... Like We, we both said at the time that we thought it might have suited us to be moved from when it was, mm. and now I don't think we both want to play each other at this point either. Uh, it's uh, it's a bit daft, isn't it? Um, how, have, uh, how, how did Everton benefit from their two-week break, as Klopp put it? Well, <laughs> yeah, I think we could do a whole different show on that that particular subject and that particular man, couldn't we, and what he has to say about these things. Um, but not not good, to be honest. Uh, in, in hindsight, I think now I'd rather have played it because um, I, I think we went on a loss to West Ham 1-0 at Goodison, um, which, I mean, I, I'm ecstatic about how we've done this season and, and how well it looks like we're going to be doing, um, given given this newfound belief and the momentum that we've picked up with recent results. Um, but that particular week, I mean, I thought it would do us the world of good because if you remember, it, it was two days removed from when we just had a hellacious trip to Sheffield United. Um, and by that, I mean the weather was absolutely disgraceful. Um, and we managed to gut out a, a 1-0 win there at Bramall Lane. Um, and then everybody it, everybody just looked like they were on the backsides when that one finished. Um, players just ran into the ground and 
you you were sort of you were sort of praying for some sort of uh, intervention from somewhere, and and we obviously got it. Um, and I thought that'll be the, the real kickstarter we need. No other clubs are getting this sort of break at this time of year. We should really be able to kick on and get some some players back fit um, for when we took on West Ham at home. And then invariably, typical in typical Everton style, we went and lost that one one nil, and look as jaded as if we'd have carried <laughs> on playing after the Sheffield United game. So, um, yeah, it's sort of uh, it's funny how these things play out, isn't it? And and now, of course, it's it's been moved to again not an ideal time because we have a Merseyside derby three days later. Yeah, uh, John, we were talking before about uh, the potential impact of of that injury to Rodri. Um, uh, we obviously we don't know the extent of it yet, but I mean that's that's going to be a key area for these two games against Spurs and Everton, isn't it? Yeah, particularly with unsure exactly when Fernandinho is coming back. So obviously, I mean, I think Rodri in particular has has really grown this season. Um, you know, I think everyone was a, a little bit unsure whether he would be a direct, he, he could be a direct replacement for Fernandinho in his first season, um, but he's. He's really learned the job now. I think under under Pep, what exactly what it is he's required to do in terms of keeping that back door closed and and keeping City dominating possession in the opponent's half and an absolute key figure. He's he's he stepped up that sort of pace of his passing and things like that and shifting the ball from side to side, which is so important for City when they're trying to prize open um, defensive sides. So, I mean, the other knock-on effect is that. You may be looking at Gundogan as as the guy who drops back a, a little bit further, uh, and then City lose something with him not being up the, further up the pitch. Obviously, yeah. he's been so effective recently. Yeah, Sam, we were talking as well at, at the start of the show about uh, City's game in hand. This is it. Um, it's it's. Do you feel they need to press home the advantage that they've built up over the last few weeks in these two games? Yeah, absolutely. Look, um, you know they've been on a fifteen game unbeaten run. Um, and it it just wouldn't make sense for them to not continue that that pace and that that momentum and that um, ruthless streak uh, in games. Um, I think this this Everton game is going to be really interesting because um, you know the Everton have had a, a couple of really good results recently. Obviously, they've they've got a lot of spirit in the um, in the camp. We saw uh, you know we all enjoyed that uh, that comeback at Old Trafford that they uh, managed to do in the, in the last minute. And and I think what what um, what was really impressive about that is look the way they started that second half. You know they they scored two quick goals and it looked like they they really meant business. So I think. Um, it should be a, a really interesting game, and 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 it's, it's certainly not a gimme. Yeah, David. I mean, like Sam says, the, the comeback at Old Trafford. Not only that, but it's been okay. It was an exhausting 120 minutes against Spurs, I guess, on Wednesday night. But like, you did come out of it on the right side of the result, which always helps. Massively so, and and I think you know when when, when I apologise for that. I've got two dashings there. Do a bad <laughs> way in the back right, sorry, um, they agree. They agree with you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I think I think they're angry at the, the fact we've got a Merseyside derby three days later, which will uh, undoubtedly puncture our season. But yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right. I think those 120 minute games, and and, and you guys will know this, haven't, haven't played plenty of extra time games in years gone by. They're only it's sort of like on a knife edge how these things end up working out, um, sort of short term in what follows and. I think if you invest that much time and effort into a game and don't win it, then it's an absolute killer um, for us to go through 
and sort of in, in a very un-Everton-like way in recent years. Um, I've written about this recently, actually. It feels very different under Carlo Ancelotti, um, simply because these are games in, in years gone by that we'd lose comfortably. Um, going 2-0 down at Old Trafford, we'd, we'd lose or invariably try and have a damage limitation sort of idea in, into the second half in games like that. Whereas this now, even though it's... Not ideal in terms of the fitness and, and the sort of fatigue issues that you, you have and the obvious connotations of taking a game into into the latter stages like that. This side seems to not be just deterred by things like that. And all of a sudden, what I was saying to you before about the, the time and, and, and the cancellation of the first game between uh, City and Everton, now we're all looking at it thinking, bring it on. You know, you want to play again really, really quickly because you've got that feel-good factor amongst the players. Yeah, how's, how's Goodison Park been for you uh, recently? I, well, do you know what? I, I, was, I was looking, doing some stats on this um, when, when we went 1-0 down against Spurs and, and we've been poor. Um, the, there's, I actually think there's more of an issue to it than many other people are making of it because... The th- I mean, three games we've lost recently over the winter, Leeds, West Ham and Newcastle. Newcastle have done the double over us, but at Goodison, we seem a little bit clueless, whereas when we when we travel, there seems to be an idea that everybody's on board with and, and are happy to go along with, whereas at Goodison, there's a, I think there's a, it fluctuates in terms of what people think they should be doing. Should Everton be taking the initiative in games? And obviously, invariably, you'd say yeah about that in normal times when there's fans there. But I, I sort of prefer it now when we've got away games. I think we're unbeaten in eight on the road. Um, and I, I prefer it. And it sounds crazy and it'll sound bizarre to you guys, given your record at the Etihad. But I'd rather this was there, to be honest with you, rather than the Goodison, because it feels as if there's a pressure I'm not sure what from within or whether there's an idea that the fans would still expect us to do this, so we have to do it, but it feels like we have to be on the front foot. And I don't think Everton play their best football when they're on the front foot. I'm happy for us to concede possession and find a different way of uh, of going about getting points from games. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not going to lie to you. I don't fancy a City have to get something on that last day of the season. I'm not. Uh, I'm not 100 percent about that yet. You're um, up by then, mate. Don't worry. How's uh, How's Calvert Lewin? Because obviously he limped out on uh, on Wednesday. Yeah, I think as of now, I haven't checked in the last hour or so, but we're still waiting results of a, of a scan that he's having. It looked precautionary more than anything else. Um, it looked like a bit of a tweak, but Duncan Ferguson did the post-match instead of Carlo Ancelotti last night, and he was saying that it looked a little bit dicey in terms of his, his prospects of the next couple of games. So, I mean, that's a killer for us as well. And, and obviously, we've just signed Josh King, who didn't even get on the bench against Spurs. So, um, there might be a little bit of a crisis up front for the, for this game. Um, you're looking at Richarlison probably playing a, a lead role in attack, or uh, as we did at Leeds, I think he put Sigurdsson as like a false nine, which, which actually worked really well in the end. So, um, yeah, there's an issue there. But, yeah, I think it, you know, we simply have to have Calvert-Lewin if you've got a chance of getting anything out of this game. Yeah, right. Well, it's, uh, it's predictions time. Adam Carter was spot on with his prediction of 3-1 at Swansea. So that's taken the total for this season's charity bet up to £590. The money is going to the Christie in Manchester, which treats cancer patients from all over the northwest. William Hill is giving each of us a £10 correct score single. Uh, we're going to start with the guests. So uh, our Spurs guest, Jack, uh, earlier on predicted 4-1 to uh, City in this game at the weekend, which is 16-1 to and £160 if you're right. Uh, David, what are you having for the Everton game? See this. This is the fear of of like Jack's prediction. There, you know, it's um, you don't you don't often see that from opposition fans. There's usually some sort of robustness, <laughs> isn't there? <laughs> yeah, I think I'm raising the white flag as well myself. As good as we've been doing, um, I think I think City will win three one at Goodison. 
Uh, that's 10 to 1 and £100 if you're right. Uh, John, give us your Spurs prediction. What are you having? I'm going 2 0 against Spurs for a City win. Uh, 11 to 2 and £55. And while you're at it, what are you going for, Goodison? Uh, I think it's going to be even tighter than that. I think it'll be 2 1 to City. Uh, 13 to 2 and £65 if you're right. Uh, Sam, what, what's, uh, what's your Spurs prediction? I'm going for City to be ruthless against a side that are struggling at the minute. Um, and I'm going to go for 3 0. They're going to put the sword to Spurs. Uh, finally, finally, that's uh, seven to one and seventy pounds. And uh, for Everton, yeah, I think um, again, you know, City are on this unbelievable streak. I think if Diaz is playing, they look really solid. And like, um, like David said, you know, questions over Calvert Lewin. Going to go for two nil City. Uh, that's six to one and sixty pounds. If you're right, remember you've got to be eighteen or over to gamble. Prices can change. And for more information on responsible gambling, have a look at begambleaware.org. Uh, David, thank you very much for for joining us today. No problem at all, guys. Thanks very much for having me again. Okay, so time to move on, and we're going to hear from Howard Hawking. He's talking about the development of Phil Foden at City. As Phil, foot-like attraction engine Foden, put the cherry on the icing on the cake during Sunday's match to end City's Anfield hoodoo, and I made a similar groaning noise to Gary Neville as Jamie Carragher went very quiet once more, as he tends to do when Liverpool are losing. I began to think about Stockport's greatest exports since Fred Perry, Michelle Keegan and the Hat Museum in more detail than they had ever done before. People talked about that goal being symbolic of him coming of age, but as any City fan knows, he's been coming of age on a near-weekly basis for quite a while now. Safe to say, he has arrived. Arrived, popped his coat on the peg, made himself comfortable and got his own groove on the couch. He's part of the City furniture now, part of the first team, still in the infancy of what I hope is the longest of careers. What it got me thinking about, though, was what it meant for a local lad to break through into this stellar team. Because fact is, I'm rather spoiled nowadays, like a lot of us. I expect success, and if success comes, I don't really give too much thought about the nationality of who provides it. After all, I have fallen in love, quite literally, with plenty of players over the past decade who have come from foreign shores. David Silva did not grow up in Beswick, and it doesn't matter to me. If my team is winning leagues and cups, it has never really concerned me if the team is full of Englishmen, Mancunians or Spaniards. See, I've been singularly obsessed with the results over the past decade, perhaps because the media coverage following the vast investment in the team and the club has compelled the team to win things. Even as a fan, I have felt that pressure to succeed. For some City fans, the need for local talent will matter more than to others. We all see things in a unique manner, after all. But even for me, the breakthrough of Phil Foden represents something special. Let's think about why. But first, Phil Foden succeeding at City poses quite the problem for rival fans. The angle this time was clear and has been since Foden was old enough to buy a drink or invite girls back to hotel rooms. That City and specifically Pep Guardiola were ruining his career by not playing him enough. This is a trope that's been running for years which is quite remarkable considering he's still only 20 years old with over 100 appearances. No other manager has attracted such relentless criticism and questioning over playing time for a teenager like no other manager is Pep Guardiola at Manchester City. Across the city, they have played a youth player every game since 1749, don't you know? So, with regular appearances, Pep has taken away even that opportunity to belittle one aspect of Manchester City, as it slowly dawns on all that Pep has handled him brilliantly, will only make him an even better footballer than he may otherwise have been. 
He's nurtured him like I nurture the first pint of the weekend, by which I mean with great care and affection, with the anticipation of what is to come. Hopefully there's no hangover with Phil's recent performances, however. The other problem for those that would rather Phil Foden did not become a generational footballer at Manchester City is the fact that he is a lifelong City fan, and this is one of the key advantages to having the local lad break through. Even when I was speculating if he should get more games, and we've all done it at some point or other, I never for one moment worried that he would leave City. This is no Jadon Sancho situation, a player who we ourselves nicked off Watford before he was nicked off us. He was hardly likely to ask to leave, and no one at the club would even dare sell him. The recent murmurings of him not being happy with his playing time didn't really concern me much either. And naturally, this is not something you can say with any non-City supporting player. Now, players like David Silva and Sergio Aguero stunned me into silence by staying as long as they did, or still are. I assumed that three years of Manchester weather would have been enough for them to endure, if that, and they would go back to warmer climes with my full blessing. And yet they didn't. And yet there was still that little part of me after watching rain bounce off my window for the 27th successive day that wonders if some of the City players who have headed north to put on the shirt are thinking about whether life has more to offer than a soggy orderly edge. So when Phil Foden breaks through, the local lad who probably trains in short sleeves in February, I can dismiss such worries. Now the only way he would leave City is if the club decided to sell him, but that would take a bizarre and frankly unlikely set of circumstances. Any circumstances that would seem leave without fans rioting in the streets, the most fertile mind would struggle to imagine. Unless his form somehow falls off a cliff, Phil Foden should be at Manchester City Football Club for the next 15 years. If he does not fall foul of bad injuries, he could break a lot of records. But surely the most important point to make about a local city supporter breaking through and capturing our imaginations of that and that of the footballing public across the country is that it stirs the soul like nothing else can. It shows that even if you are not a Liverpool fan, it can mean more. To see the kid that was a mascot and a ball boy at the club scoring the fourth goal at Anfield is hard to contextualise in words. It's a special moment. To hear global press salivate over a guy born a few miles away and to see what scoring and winning means to him is the closest we as fans will get to having the joy of fandom replicated on the actual pitch. He represents us in a way, as who of us have not dreamt about doing something similar to what he did on Sunday? And we must thank Pep for ignoring the clamour and forging his own path for Phil. When you buy a player for big money, that transfer fee puts great weight on their shoulders to succeed. In a way, someone who comes through the youth ranks escapes such pressure because there's no fee. But instead, Phil Foden has his own unique pressure to deal with, as he has been singled out, with good reason, as a breakthrough star for a number of years now. Our greatest youth hope for a generation. And he's not shown any signs of struggling with that pressure. It makes his performances all the more remarkable. Just keep him off penalty duties, and I'm sure he will continue to develop and flourish. And so I'll finish with a quote from his manager. He has to be calm to understand the tough periods is going to come. And it depends on his humble, because it is. Because the expectations at that age, we'll see if can handle it. So now the people expect uh, every game to do exceptional things. This is the most difficult thing. Indeed, Pep. But as I said, he shows no signs of stuttering in his development. He will at some point. Young players almost always stumble at some point. In fact, all players do, whatever their age. But even a year ago, I could not have conceived just how special a talent City had on their hands. It really is a wonderful experience to witness his many comings of age. And long may it continue. Hi, I'm Fabian Delph, and you're listening to the Blue Moon Podcast. This 
is the Blue Moon Podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Blue Moon Podcast. That was Howard Hawking. Uh, we're going to finish with Ask the Panel, as we usually do, uh, sending you questions for next week on Twitter at Blue Moon Podcast. You can email us through the website, bluemoonpodcast.com, and check us out on Instagram as well. Just search for Blue Moon Podcast on there. Uh, first question this week comes from Anthony Abdul on Twitter. Uh, he asks, did you think that the move into a post-Silver and soon-to-be post-Sergio era would happen quite so quickly and convincingly? If Pep were to leave after two years, an incoming manager would have the ideal blueprint of a competitive side. It feels like a huge achievement to me, one of his greatest. Uh, uh, John, what do you reckon? Yeah, I think that's a good point by Anthony. It is, it is a huge achievement to uh, replace replace David Silva because he was such a pivotal player for, for a decade. But it was also, it wasn't quite overnight. It was a bit of a slow change in the guard because he was he was in and out of side for, for two seasons and, and perhaps in those big games towards you know in his in his final year he he was missing out on those ones which you know having said that city weren't successful um but yeah it did look like a a big big shoes to fill and particularly it looked like Phil Foden would be the one and yeah he's he's played more of a winger as we've, as we've seen and it's and it's players like Gundogan and um Bernardo Silva which have really sort of stepped up into that position and yeah you know, David was such an intelligent player, um, and you can't really teach people to be that just, just natural understanding. You just, it just has to, has to come. You just have, to have an instinct for that, um, yeah. and you know, Gundogan has got that. Um, but I think he, he's he's played down his impacts recently, and saying he's been playing well for ever since he's been at the club, which is true. But I think he's really st- stepped it up with a bit of confidence on the back of it and that's why he's been so effective so yeah I think that's a, a really good point from Anthony The interesting one Sam is that it's the soon to be post Sergio era because I, I feel like that's the transfer City have to get right isn't it? Yeah certainly and I, um, likewise with you know the, the post David Silver era you know you're not going to replace a player that's had such an impact at, at the club like like those two have had um, but what what you can do is get a, a great player in place that fits the system that Pep has built. And I think that's the secret to how sort of seamless this post-David Silver era feels. You know, it it's not that, um, you know, great, you know, we've replaced David Silver, if you like. It's that another great player has, has come in and fit the system really well. You know, the system that City have is... It's built for players to to be able to be to to come in and and to know off the you know uh, like the back of the hand yeah. um, and I think that's that's really the um, the the best thing about what Pep Guardiola has done at Manchester City is is really build this fluid system that suits all of the players really um, and I think we we've seen that with obviously losing a player like David Silver I think you know if if David Silver left when Pellegrini was was in charge I think it'd be a a, a totally different <laughs> totally different scenario at the moment and I think with with Aguero look you know the, you could argue that well we've all, we're already very much in that post Aguero era um, barely played has he he's barely played when he does play you know he he gets injured again it's 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 really um it's difficult to see as a as a fan and, and as as someone who loves Aguero and obviously the impact he's had for the club. I think we're very much in that era anyway. Um, who comes in? It's we all, a tough we one. all want Haaland. We all want Haaland, don't we? That's the well, thing. Well, again, it, you know, I think 
in the in the transfer market, the the club will be going out to to look for players that can not just be an out and out striker, but fit the system. Um, you know, look if if you were to to if the checkbook was open for anybody in world football, and and you're asking me who do I think fits the system would fit the system really well, I think Mbappe would be would be top of the list for me. You know, he can play through the middle, he can play out wide, he's quick, he. Uh, yeah. Likewise with Haaland as well, though. But, you know, I, I, I don't make these decisions at Manchester City, so <laughs> thankfully. Uh, <laughs> uh, we're going to come on to that now, John, because uh, Noah Lawson on the emails asks, there have been reports that City have been interested in Danny Ings, Romelu Lukaku and Erling Haaland. Who would be the better option for City? And do you think Gabriel Jesus could replace Sergio Aguero? Yeah, I think, re- re- although, like Sam was saying, we are in a, almost in a post-Aguero era. I think they've got to get this one right. I think Perhaps lessons need to be learned from the way that City didn't replace Vincent Company and, and paid a bit of a price. You know, he was he was such a legend of the club, and it's take, taken them eighteen months to find Ruben Diaz, and I don't think they want to make that same. You know, they want to get in at one of those strikers straight away. But having said that, you know, they are they are coping well. I mean, obviously they're absolutely flying at the moment, and Jesus is not going to be a direct replacements for Sergio Aguero. He's, in some ways, he's got more to his game because he, uh, you know, he can he can play in different positions. He can be effective from from out wide. He he, he runs harder. He pressurizes, um, and he's he, in some ways he's more of a a pet player than Sergio is. Uh, but obviously, what he hasn't got, which Sergio is brilliant at, is is just unbelievable goal scorer, the greatest goal scorer of the of the last decade. Maybe I don't know. Maybe the Premier League's best striker of the of this century. It's going to be very difficult to replace. But of those three that have been linked, I think yeah, Haaland would stand out as age-wise potential, and also what he's done so far. Um, you know, he's quick. He's a goal scorer. He's powerful. Uh, in many ways, looks like the perfect striker. And uh, and Sam, crucially, the son of a former City player, bring him home is what I say. <laughs> yeah, certainly. Um, really surprised that he's linked with Manchester United. You know, given given the fact, given those connections as well. <laughs> um, but yeah, look, it's it's just a, yeah, it is. We could have this option, this option, this option. Um, and I think John makes a great point. They've, the club have got to learn from eighteen months without Vincent Company, not quite getting it right. It. It has to be right, but then saying that you know, we've ha- we haven't had Aguero for some time now in in his in his pomp. So, you know, can we afford to be a, you know a little bit further down the line with oh, with Gabriel just Jesus? With, just don't take know, that risk. Phil don't take Foren. that risk. Yeah, but it's not as easy, is it, as saying right, let's get Haaland in and he's going to bang thirty goals. You know, it, there's no there's never any guarantee, I suppose. But um, but yeah, it's it. I think I think as well the club from from the recent sort of transfer record. With Manchester City, I think that you know the the very sort of risk averse at the moment, um, and and that makes total sense as well. You know, given the current situation around the world, I think teams are going to be a lot more risk averse in the in the transfer market. Um, so I think they're going to are they going to spend over a hundred million getting Haaland and Mbappe? Um, I'd be surprised. There might be another name, another Argentinian to replace him. You could score a few goals. Go on. Well, Mr. Messi, who knows what's going to happen with him at the end of the season. 
Yeah, that's, uh, that is a very, very good point indeed. And uh, we're going to leave it there. That's it for this week's Blue Moon Podcast. Thank you very much for listening, and thank you to my guests, Goals.com's Jonathan Smith. Cheers. And my good friend, Sam Roscoe. Thanks, mate. Please go and give the podcast a rating and a review in all the usual places. It means other City fans can find us as well. If you'd like to support the show a bit further, or you'd like to listen to the podcast ad-free, then you can sign up to our Patreon page. That's patreon.com forward slash Blue Moon Podcast, and all three tiers are now displayed in your local currency. None of that having to convert from US dollars nonsense all the time. All three tiers are the same, and you'll get ad-free shows, plus the weekly bonus show too. This week we're discussing the common players between City and Everton. All the details are on patreon.com forward slash Blue Moon Podcast. Thanks for listening and I'll see you next week. That was the Blue Moon Podcast. Please support the show. Patreon.com forward slash Blue Moon Podcast.